Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. Kyle Boulette is here with us today. Hey, Kyle, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, Nick. How are you? All right, so welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. New Director of Operations. Excited to have you on the show and learn a little bit about uh, this hot topic in the world today, which is active threat response. And we're going to get into, in a minute, why we call it active threat, because I bet you thought I was going to say active shooter, and I didn't for a reason. We're going to talk exactly about that. So before we jump into that, Kyle, do you mind just telling the folks a little bit about like, how did you get where you are today? What's what's been your journey, you know, basically from when you're getting out of high school until where we are sitting here in the office? Yeah, um, absolutely. That's kind of a, a bit of a long road. <laughs> um yeah, so directly out of high school, I uh, I went to uh, Champlain College. Uh, I studied criminal justice. I kind of knew from a young age that I wanted to get into um, law enforcement, um, mostly due to my father. Uh, he spent almost three decades in it. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, when I was growing up, instead of getting like bedtime stories, I was getting like, you know, shift reports of what happened the night before, oh, nice. that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of knew I wanted to go into law enforcement. I went to uh, went to college for it, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best idea because <laughs> it's a very specialized degree. But um, out of that, I wanted to get some kind of some life experience before just delving in. So uh, after college, I enlisted in the military. I spent uh, four years in the Army. Um, I served on a, a alert detachment, which is a long-range reconnaissance uh, or long-range surveillance uh, unit. Um, did some cool things when I was there, um, kind of got my first taste of like pre-hospital medicine per se. Um, LURST units are kind of specialized reconnaissance units that don't always have, uh, like a traditional medic component attached to it. So as such, um, I had an opportunity to spend seven weeks out in MT, uh, and I got certified as like a tactical medic, uh, in that capacity. So, um, that was kind of my first introduction in, into the medical world, um, at, no point before that did I ever really think I was going to do anything with medicine. It just, you know, I didn't think I was smart enough. Um, anyway, so I, I spent four years there. Uh, I did a deployment in the Middle East uh, in Afghanistan. So I unfortunately did gain some experience over there um, in that realm. Uh, came back home and I kind of picked up where I left off and got back into, or I, I entered into to law enforcement. Um, I've been doing that for the past almost 12 years now, um, predominantly in Chittenden County, uh, where we live in Vermont. Um, yeah, I kind of did a bunch of different things there, everything from basic patrol to investigative work. I spent time as a criminal investigator with Homeland Security. Um, more recently, within like the past maybe six years or so, I got into the teaching side of it. Um, kind of develop or kind of learn that that was my, uh, kind of my passion, what I, what I like to do. Um, so we kind of fast forward to where we are today. Uh, I run the firearms program at Burlington. Um, I do a lot of our tactical training. I'm an adjunct instructor down at the Vermont police Academy. And then obviously I have my role here at nets as the newly appointed director of operations. Um, so I do a lot of work with our, our tactical programs here, our uh, trauma-based program specifically, because that's kind of where my, my uh, medical expertise or medical experience lies. Um, so a lot of stuff with our tech program, our PHTLS courses. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of where we are today. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. I think when, when I first met you, you were on Burlington doing some patrol shifts. I was on the fire trucks and the ambulances doing some stuff. And it's just one of those like passing ships in the night, city hall park, you know, yeah. taking care of each other, doing our thing. And I think one of the really interesting 
changes that we've seen in EMS and law enforcement in the last you know 10 years or so is this idea that they're not as separate as they used to be. I think, you know, 10 years ago was kind of like, you know, police come in and do their thing. EMS come in and do their thing. You know, EMS doesn't show up until the scene is safe and police are in charge of that. And then once the scene is safe, they kind of dip out and go about their business. And nowadays it feels like the two worlds are really colliding. Everything from domestic assault cases to all the way up through these these hostile threat response and rescue task force programs where now we're working in tandem. And I think as NETS grew and as we found out that there was this niche for this threat response training, it just didn't it didn't sit right with me to go and offer these programs from a solely medical perspective. I think if you're dealing with threat response, you really need to deal with threat response. And then the minute you start having that conversation about warm zone EMS, if you're not including your security element, whether that's your local law enforcement or state law enforcement or federal law enforcement or whatever it is that's at your disposal that you're going to be working in tandem with, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. If you have no idea what their plan is going to be or how you're going to integrate with that, I think that's a problem. So I, I know that, you know, we had chatted pretty early on about you know, we got to we got to figure this out. We got to we got to start teaching this together. And I think one of the things that's really unique about um, NETS and, and what we do is that we have cross trained law enforcement EMS. So we have a handful of police officers that also hold EMS certs that have experience and are able to go in and teach from a law enforcement background and then just pivot, step over the other side of the room and teach from an EMS background. And I think programs you know, should be wary that if you're going to a threat response program and you don't even meet anybody that does threat response throughout the entirety of your instruction, that probably should be a little bit of a red flag about, you know, what, what are we learning here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think that was, that was really a big nexus for us. And, you know, we currently are the largest provider of TECC, Tactical Emergency Casualty Care, in the state of Vermont. We've cranked out close to 200 students in the last 18 months um, just in the state of Vermont, which if you know anything about the number of providers here is pretty significant. Um, we've been contracted to go down to Newport, Rhode Island. We've done Middletown, Rhode Island. Um, we've gone all over the state. Um, we're expanding, always looking for new programs, working with other individuals. And I think that approach of having law enforcement and EMS is so important to make sure that you can see both sides because you really can't teach it just through one lens. You have to do both. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up, right? So when we think about the emergency response industry or the emergency response service, right, there are different components of it, law enforcement, uh, medical, fire, um, what have you, and I'm sure I'm probably leaving a few out here, but we think of it as a, as kind of like an umbrella and then each agency or organization kind of works independently thereof. And that's not necessarily the case. It is a joint effort. Like sure, a cop isn't going to be the one who's running a fire scene, but they're the one who are going to be helping with traffic control and, and, um, uh, whatnot on that end. Um, the big, the big kind of issue that we run into, uh, thinking separately which is what we've done for a long time. And unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in anymore. Um, you know, we live in a world where these active threat situations are occurring on a regular basis. And I, I don't think anyone really truly knows what the answer is here, how we prevent them um, or how we solve the, the problem of them occurring. Um, what we do know at this point is how we have to address them. Um, and that's where we've kind of gotten more into that mindset of that tandem response uh, or that joint effort, so to speak, or a rescue task force, as you will. Um, and that's really kind of the response here. Like it's, 
the old way of, of thinking and, you know, working independently of uh, police show up and they do their job and then they go about their day and then EMS show up and do their job and they go about their day. Um, that may work fine in, in um, certain settings, but there are other settings where that, that completely fails. Uh, and I think that's, that's a lesson that a lot of, a lot of organizations are kind of starting to learn. Um, and that's what we're hoping to, uh, to kind of help out here, especially in this state and in, uh, even, uh, even more so in like New England area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things we always talk about when we do our threat response lecture on day two of TECC is this, you know, where did we start and where are we headed? And talking about, you know, the Columbine is a classic incident we always bring up, you know, where for a long time, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but law enforcement tactics were isolate the scene, call for reinforcement, get specialized weapons and tactics. They show up, they do their thing. And and you're looking at hours and hours before they're able to get into these patients that need us that have arterial bleeds and airway compromise and and reversible causes that we want to get in there and address. And one of the things that we always talk about in class is, you know, this this 20 percent of the victims of these incidents can be saved. You know, the vast majority of evidence, you know, they just had an article in the um, Air Medical Journal that talked about uh, pretty much anyone that has upper chest trauma and head trauma is very unlikely to survive just in terms of the the structures that are that are um, being, you know, injured in that type of mechanism. If you're shot in the head in this type of environment, the likelihood that you're going to survive is very, very low. That being said, there are a lot of other areas in your body where we can intervene on like extremities. You know, if there's extremity hemorrhage, a tourniquet's going to stop that bleeding and immediately rectify that that problem that's that's attempting to cause you harm. Same thing with, you know, other penetrating wounds where we can pack them with hemostatic agents or we can cover them and seal the chest cavity. Those types of things we can intervene on. The caveat being we need to be able to get in to access those people or the people need to be brought out to us where we can access them. And I think that's kind of where this um, creation of warm zone EMS terminology showed up as, you know, maybe we don't need to bring in a cardiac monitor and a backboard and, you know, 17 different cardiac meds for all these patients. Maybe tourniquets and chest seals and cricothyrotomy kits are going to do a lot of good. And so one of the things we do with law enforcement is we try to come up with this plan about how are we as a team, the law enforcement security element and the medical providers going to get into these patients, specifically that 20 percent that need us? And then how are we going to keep ourselves from getting bogged down with either the patients who don't need a lot of medical care, the little cuts, scrapes and bruises or people who are beyond um, resuscitation? How are we going to target and look for those people? So I want to talk a little bit about kind of like how would you as a law enforcement officer start to approach that problem? Like like you show up on scene, something bad is happening. You want to walk me through a little bit about what you're thinking and what, what your plans are and how you're trying to get to that, that place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you totally hit the nail right on the head with, with that, uh, kind of rundown of, of how things go. Um, so it's important to understand that even though we are working together, law enforcement, EMS, we have very different goals in mind. Um, and we're trying to accomplish them as as kind of uh, on parallel with each other as, as we can. Uh, so for law enforcement, the, the most important thing is we have to stop the dying. We have to stop the killing from occurring. Um, and that comes from locating and neutralizing, containing or otherwise uh, stopping the threat. That's that's really kind of our, our number one thing. If, if we uh, fail to do that, then we're just we're just playing catch up. Um, so the most important thing is getting into that area, uh, locating that threat and stopping that threat as quickly as possible. We have to stop the uh, number of casualties from rising. 
after that happens, that's kind of like the, the, like the pivotal moment in, in whether or not that that's whether or not we're going to be successful in finding that 20%. Right. And, and that's kind of the, the, the question that everybody has is how do you transition from a hot zone where we're finding an active threat to a warm zone where we found the active threat and we're pretty sure that there isn't another one, um, but we're not 100% sure. And at the end of the day, I don't think there's any textbook answer that, that you can rely on. It, it's about using the information you have at hand and making the best decision you can with the information that you have. And that's a lot of what we do in law enforcement and even in uh, pre-hospital care. We don't have a crystal ball to know uh, what the outcome or, or, or all the answer to every question out there. But what we're doing is we're, we're making uh, an educated guess based on the information that's readily available to us. And sometimes we're wrong. It, it, it happens. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, action is better than inaction, even if it ends up being a wrong action. Yeah, um, absolutely. One of the things that we've talked about extensively, you and I, is this concept that you know, a lot of a lot of programs really sit on their heels and they expect that this is this type of thing is going to come from the top, that the the grand echelon of the one department is going to meet the grand poobah of the other department. And yeah. they're going to sit down and they're going to roll out a department directive with policy and procedure. And then an event's going to happen and they're going to raise the bullhorn and deploy the resources. And we just know from experience that this is not this is not what's going to be happening. I, I know we've talked extensively about how. Um, a lot of systems are asking like, well, who's in charge? And a lot of places, what they're teaching now is the first officer on the scene, you might be two days off your FTO and you might have to go pursue this threat and you might be the person with the most information and you may actually be the person running the tempo and the pace and the direction of that incident. And I think what's going to happen in this event is we're going to develop relationships by doing interagency training. People like you and I, who are boots on the ground, who are comfortable with this, who know how it works, are going to go to an event. Something's going to happen. The chiefs are going to be there. And then you're going to go to your upper echelon and say, hey, let's do rescue task force. I have a team ready to go. And I'm going to go to my chief and say, hey, you know, we can do rescue task force. I have an escort. We're ready to go. And they're going to be like, oh, well, these guys are like a self-cleaning oven. They're pretty much set to go. And then we're going to go do good work. But I think what you know, our, our partner Dave always talks about is don't expect that that they're going to come find you and put you into the game because you need to make sure that you're trained and ready to go and that everybody's aware of that. And it might need a little bit of a prompt to get the ball rolling. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's that's the case with a lot of things. Um, if you sit there and wait for the prize to come to you, you're going to be waiting for a long time and it might not it might not ever get there. Um, the very reason that uh, a lot of the agencies in this state are in the position that they're in is because we took the initiative on this and ran with it. Um, it wasn't some chief. It wasn't some battalion commander. Um, it, it was us, two guys who hold no leadership positions in the organizations that we started from. Um, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't always have to be a top-down decision. A lot of times good decisions can start from the bottom and work their way up to the top. Um, and that's kind of one of the pinnacles of good leadership is recognizing those beneath you and utilizing them to their strengths and uh, essentially kind of making the best for everybody as opposed to trying to think that you can do it all yourself. Yeah, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I call that the godfather approach where you give them an offer they can't refuse. You basically make the program so good and so clean and so tight. All I got to do is stamp it. <laughs> all I got to do is stamp it. It's all done. It's all set. There's nothing. It would be unreasonable for them not to sign it because no. it's so easy to say yes when you do all the work and all the legwork and you take care of it. And they say, well, what about this? And you're like, I'm glad you asked. It's on page two. Flip the 
flip the page. Here you go. You know, and, and I remember um, vividly one of the one of the common themes we see in all these incidents um, for failure is the lack of communication. People just cannot talk to one another. So one yep. of the things we always tell, um, our, especially our closed courses where, you know, police, fire and EMS will book things together is you need to think about like you're probably going to have some type of communication failure. It's probably going to fail. So you need to think about how you're going to work through that. And I remember we went to one particular department. They're like, oh, no, we're all set. We got these tech channels. We got this bank. It's all set. It's all good to go. We're like, all right, okay, let's get the scenario started. Three, two, one, go. And then we're like testing one, two, three. Oh, I'm not getting you. Are you, is your radio on? What channel? Are you? And <laughs> yeah. No one could talk to anyone because the radios were not programmed. So the other thing we always recommend is, taking these courses because it's a perfect opportunity to do these tabletops and do these scenarios and full-scale exercises to work out those bugs. Because I can tell you right now, we went back later and worked with those individuals and it was like clockwork. Like all the channels worked. They were able to communicate effectively. They were able to get there quickly. But, you know, like, you know what? I think it's like the Muhammad Ali quote, like everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. And sometimes you just need to like rough yourself up a little bit and go through these exercises and see what happens, see what the failures are so you can tighten it up. And that's one of the things we offer, you know, on day two is we don't just do one scenario like, like, you know, the program requires, we typically will do anywhere from four to eight scenarios to really give people the opportunity to get the reps in and get comfortable to the point where they walk away saying, you know, I, I feel like I could do this. I feel like I could, I could get through this if I needed to. And I feel comfortable bringing this back to my agency and talking about it. Yeah. And that's kind of the interesting thing. Like the whole concept of training, like that's the place where we're destined to fail. That that's the place where we should be trying new things and seeing what works and what doesn't work out there in the field. When someone's life is on the line is not the time to try, uh, try something new or try something for the very first time thinking that it's going to work. Cause it rarely ever does. Um, the, uh, kind of the, the big thing with scenarios too, is in, in these in, in this line of work and in, in these uh, job areas, um, experience is hugely important to your ability to adapt to a, a, a given scenario. And, and that's one of the hardest things that we find, at least I find, and I'm sure you do as well, um, training new police officers or training new firefighters or new EMTs is getting them that experience. Because there's, despite our efforts, there's always a gap between training and what really happens. And even though we try to narrow that gap as much as possible, uh, scenario-based training is really the best way to get them some degree of experience. So when they go out there, they at least have uh, a few tools in their toolbox that they can pull from and hopefully adapt to whatever situation they're in. And that's really what the scenario portion of the tech program is designed to do. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we try to do uh, really well is we have 12 cookie cutter scenarios that are built based off real world incidents with common themes about, you know, communication failure or um, mass casualty incidents where you have more patients than you think you do or isolation or the transition from a warm zone to a hot zone. All things that we talk about that are from real world incidents that are evidence-based and what we try to do is we have some that are easier and we have some that are harder and we try to make sure that we target that really therapeutic range you know i always compare it to you know working out at the gym you wouldn't just get on the treadmill and run 12 miles an hour until you go into cardiac rest but you also are not going to sit there and walk on the treadmill for five minutes and go home we want to find that good window where you're getting a therapeutic effect and so what we try to do is we start with an easy scenario. And if that goes well, we turn it up a little bit. And if that goes well, we turn it up. And if things don't go well, we back it down, we talk about it, we debrief, we get them confident, and then we bring them back up. And this idea of 
stress inoculation can go so far sideways. You know, Dave and I like to go and take programs all over the country of TECC just because we enjoy like seeing how other people do it. And you always pick up little tips and tricks. And one of the classes we went to, you know, you get a cup of coffee, you sit down, they're taking your names and emails down. And all of a sudden, you know, they bring you outside and they're firing off smoke grenades and firing blanks. And what are you going to do? What are you going <laughs> to And we're like, we don't even know. We don't have gear on. We don't know what's happening. And so to me, that's detrimental because it's it's destroying your confidence because you feel lost and anxious and there's no way to win in that. And then, you know, the learning point was like, well, how did you feel being anxious? I was like, well, yeah, because I had no idea what's happening, you know, whereas what we want to do is spend the first day teaching you the skills, teaching you the concepts, teaching you how to interact with law enforcement. And then on day two, we start with just moving around with cops, just getting used to working in a triangle or working in a stack, just getting used to working around people who are providing you security. And then by the end of the day, I mean, my favorite part of our whole scenario day is when you tell them, hey, you know, you took 43 minutes on our first scenario. And guess what? You just you just did the exact same scenario in 12 minutes. Like great work, good progression. And that's because we build it slow and steady. I'm sure you've seen this, you know, in training where people go too hot, too oh, fast. Yes. And it just, you actually, there's been evidence showing that people come out worse than they were when they came. You would have been better off doing nothing. Yeah. There, there's a huge element of like building confidence in someone, um, but you have to give them the tools to succeed first, right? If you simply just put them in a no win situation, people by human nature are just going to shut down. Like, anyone doesn't matter from the lowly civilian up to like a top level, you know, SWAT officer or, or, you know, military special operations that they got to that point based on a systematic approach of stress inoculation, right? There it's like building a pyramid or like scaffolding with, with training. They're just adding a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more to the point where they at least have the tools to deal with whatever situation they're in. And then they can adapt it from there, but you can't just, go from zero to 100 and expect someone to uh, to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, this seems like something that would be great at my department, or this seems like something I would really love to take, um, definitely check out our website, netsvt.com slash TECC. Our courses are always posted up there. Um, if you want us to come deliver a program to your agency or your locale, just let us know. Get a hold of us. Uh, my email is nick at netsvt.com. Kyle's, as you guessed it, kyle at netsvt.com. The three main programs that we offer right now um, in this realm is going to be the TECC program, the, the two-day, 16-hour program that offers CAPSI credit. You can take that and includes all the medical components, all the skill stations, um, all the scenarios. We also offer a program called TECC Leo um, slash first responder. And that's a one day course that offers some of the life-saving interventions in the morning. And then the afternoons are going to be the scenario. So that's great. If you're a fire department or you're a law enforcement agency, you want to do a little buddy aid and tourniquet placement, um, some wound packing, that kind of stuff. Um, and then the last one is uh, if you've had TECC or if you had some threat response training, we can always come in and provide you with a scenario day or a scenario afternoon for a set fee. And we can do just an audit. We can come in and we can run drills just like we normally do with our TECC students. And we can make some recommendations based on what we're seeing, based on the evidence that we know from these incidents about how you can better prepare your agency. So if you're interested in anything like that, definitely get a hold of us. Um, we'd love to see you. Um, we really feel that it's important that you think about where your training is coming from. There's a lot of information that's out there about active shooter, active threat response. Um, there's a ton of programs out there that are looking to prepare you. And I think the best thing to do is 
Think about how it's going to be applied in your community. And then where is this information coming from? Is it relevant? You know, I think if you are taking a program that's designed for a metropolitan area where you have 42 ambulances arriving in the first 10 minutes with 150 firefighters, maybe that's not what your community is experiencing. So you want to make sure that that what you're getting is tailored to your community. Anything to add on that, Kyle? No, I I, I think you said it all. Um, it really is. And that's kind of one of the things that we uh, pride ourselves on is, is the ability to tailor um, the training to your individual needs, your organization's needs, um, because every organization is different. Even though we're all trying to accomplish the same goal at the end of the day, everyone does have different operational needs. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll just touch on before we end the episode for today is um, don't forget that Nats has been selected to be a presenter at EMS World Expo um, in September. We'll be offering our program a presentation. Dave, Kyle, and I are going down there. We're teaching uh, hardening the target, uh, preparing your community for the active threat. Um, that will be available if you want to go down to New Orleans. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have a, a hurricane down there. I think that's the drink of choice in New Orleans. Mm, yeah. um, otherwise, uh, you can always get it on demand if you go to worldemsexpo.com and you can check out uh, all of the ways that you can stream that talk. So um, we look forward to seeing you out there. If you need anything at all, always uh, feel free to reach out and please don't hesitate to uh, like our podcast if you enjoy it. Um, Subscribe if you want to hear more episodes and we will see you monthly. Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for having me.